apprentice hairdresser through to uh, dealer principal, and that in a nutshell is the life of Phil Bly. Um, what I wanted to ask you actually before we go there, a certain Vice Admiral William Bly, who was very much involved in the mutiny of the bounty, and that was back in, what, 1789, no relation? No, no, no relation at all that I'm aware of. Um, done quite extensive look into the family side, but no, certainly not William Bly. But you did mention Henry, Henry VIII when yeah, we were talking. I go and do tell me, this sounds very interesting. Apparently, when, when, as I got into the family tree, then I had an email that tells you that via marriage, there's a link to Henry VIII, so I'll take that one instead of William Bly. I can sort of imagine you in the sort of typical regalia of the days of Henry VIII. Well, as soon as I found out, I went to Hampton Court. I thought, as like a family home. So I thought, yeah, we'll go and visit Hampton Court because it's... Uh, the family home, but uh, the tour guides at Hampton Court didn't seem interested in my claim to fame of related to Henry VIII via marriage. So, uh, yeah, I'll just keep that one to myself. Then. <laughs> <laughs> no longer, no longer anymore. Yeah. You know, this is out in the public domain now, yeah. basically, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But first and foremost, <clears throat> Raymond. Yes. The, the Fabulous. Now, this is, this is Raymond. Now, basically, his full title, basically, is uh, Peter Carlo Bazoin Raymond. Yes. He was a hairdresser from 1930 through to 1960. Yes. And you started life as an apprentice hairdresser there. Yes. When, when was that? How far back? Was it a YTS or is it classed as YTS? That had been 1986, 87. Right. Um, yeah, teasy wheezy. I think known as he was, um, which all came sort of via my mum. I was looking, not really sure what to do. We were going to be a science teacher, a history teacher, a car valetor, a chef, and for some reason we ended up as a trainee hairdresser. Um, but loved it, and my mum had a link with Raymond's and used to do modelling for Raymond's back in the day. Um, hair modelling um, as well and if you're going to be a trainee hairdresser nobody better at the time than to train with Raymond's mm. um, their training was seen as second to none um, they had special places in Birmingham where you could specialise in colour or perm um, on top of hair, hairdressing so yeah it was um, the start of a a bit of a career with hairdressing, which I love, to be honest. Is the salon still there? No, it's a TV shop, uh, quite an expensive t -sh TV shop in uh, Windy Alley in Drury Lane in Solihull. Right, OK. Yes, but uh, there's a lot of the staff that used to work there that work now in a salon in Solihull, mm. so you see the same people around. But in those days, it was purely ladies' hairdressing, wasn't it? There was no... They weren't... We some didn't have these... Well, like, they were, did, did some men come to the salon? Yeah, some men went, but it was quite expensive. Mm. Um, so predominantly women, quite well-to-do in Solihull, would go there because it was expensive. Mm. Um, normally with their pictures of who they wanted to look like, um, which at the time, I think, was Joan Collins. yeah. Or the other girl out of Dynasty. There's, Dynasty was the programme, or Dallas kind of thing, and the ladies would rock up with their picture of Joan Collins and they wanted their hair like that. But what didn't come with it was the, the face to match, I guess. But 
so you can... <laughs> with there, the greatest, there, with the greatest respect, of course. There's a well-known term, but you can't obviously say it. <laughs> yeah. So, Are yeah. we talking about backs, backs of buses by any chance? polishing something, yeah, you can only... Um, but no, great fun. Love that job. So where did we go from there? What, what year was this when you actually moved on? Hairdressing, for various reasons, I'd started to look to come away from it. Predominantly the one being the money. Because mm. I think back then, a YTS was on £28 a week, mm. um, of which my mum took 10 of that. So £28 a week, you lived on your tips. But tips were great there, but you lived on your tips. Um, so you're never going to buy a house, you're never going to have a career that I wanted, and it was always about the money as a younger lad. Mm. So you're sort of a bit of a jigsaw puzzle as what do you do to find that next thing? And then along came, again via my mum, Brooklyn Ford Motors were advertising for a trainee fleet sales executive. Wow. Um, Which, not a clue what that meant, but what it did say was a company car three months after qualifying. And that's what I saw, because at the time I had a little metro van which blew up. Um, so, yeah, I went for that job, got the job. Um, did they want to know anything about your background, or did they just sort of offer no, it because I, they liked the look of you and yeah, the fact that was, you probably um, could sell cars? I told them about my love of cars, um, also about my mum's connection with the RAC, which I knew was a link with Brooklyn Motors at the time. Um, and I was quite ambitious, and I think, whether character-wise, I don't know, I just gelled with the two people who interviewed me. Mm. Um, of which, to this day, I meet every other month for a, a meal out. This I, is Mike Hill, basically? No, well, Mike ran the business, mm. but at the time there was a lady called Jenny Jones who ran Fleet Department for Ford um, at Brooklyn, and a guy called Ron Jacks, who headed up sales for Brooklyn. Um, so th- they were who interviewed me, but yeah, over the time with them, a relationship with Mike Hill, who's sadly no longer with us, and mm. the family that still lasts to this day. And we think about the connection with uh, the RAC rallies and rallying yeah. generally. I mean, they were very much behind uh, rallying in that respect and, and, and had a lot of success, didn't they? Yeah, I think the one thing when you first go to Brooklyn was the motorsport heritage within that. Mm. Um, Mike Hill, Keith Hill, Tim Hill, Richard Hill have all dabbled within the rallying side um, quite heavily. Uh, And quite quickly, you... It wasn't just the job of a trainee fleet salesperson. It was... You bought into a lifestyle working for Brooklyn who were quite well-known within those circles, mm-hmm. um, lots of contacts. So it wasn't, very much so, wasn't a nine-to-five job. It was, you actually didn't want to leave. I always remember someone telling me within my first six months there is you can go home, and this was about nine o'clock of an evening, because we'd sort of done our job, and there was a few people had come to see the latest Sierra Cosworth, but they were well-known customers, and it never felt like a job. It was just being involved with these cars at such a young age was a, a pleasure. 
And also, I suppose, being involved in that sort of side of things basically gave you more uh, to talk about and, and infuse about, about particular cars, particularly the Sierra, for example, which, yeah. of course, Phil Collins was, yeah. what, the pink Sierra they had for a while, Mr. didn't they? Is it Mr. Tomkinson? It was the pink Sierra. Um, yeah, the, the, the contacts, it was everything that came with it. You used to get free rally sport jackets, Ford jackets... Um, tours of the factory but these famous rally drivers because I had an interest in rally driving um, only a small interest at first but then these people um, Gwyndaf Evans, Malcolm Evans would come into the business like they were friends mm. and you'd naturally feel part of it then you'd get invited to rallies and you weren't just invited to a rally you went along and you, they said hello when you got. You just felt part of it. It was a culture that they built within that business. I mean, you would have met Malcolm Wilson long before. Malcolm Wilson. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Malcolm yeah. Evans, but I was trying to work yeah. out who that was. But yeah, never mind. Sorry, we'll, Evans and yeah, Malcolm Yeah, but I would yeah. say, but knowing Malcolm and obviously yeah. M Sport as they are today, I mean, you know, I'd seen him come through the yeah. rallying ranks basically long before you know they got to the sort of status they are and yeah. living up yeah. based up at Davenby Hall and stuff like and that. I'm sure there was more, but it was always Gwyndaf. Um, Malcolm, Russell Brooks. Mm, um, those are the names that that stick in your memory. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And you probably would have met Elvin Evans probably as a young lad with his dad when he was rallying, I would have thought as well, because Elvin's right at the very top of the game in World yeah. Rally Championship. Um, yeah, I, I, more so certainly Gwyndaf. Gwyndaf was a big mm. advocate for the company. Mm. Um, whenever we had the launch of a new car... Gwyndaf was always in attendance, mm. never let you down, mm. which was great because they're busy guys. So. And they've got a Ford dealership up in Old Gus, haven't they? Right, I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. No, he hadn't at the time. But though, no. Yeah, but they have uh, the family business, and I think Elvin obviously comes back from his rallies right, and goes yeah. in, the, in the showroom yeah. and does a bit of selling or whatever yeah. else, but they're still very much involved at the sort of ground level, basically, yeah. apart from obviously the fact that he's borderline to actually winning the World Rally Championship yeah. this year as well. Well, when we had the, the impact, and by this time I was a salesman within the showroom, I ended up being the finance manager there and the sales manager. Um, we had the launch of the Escort RS2000 came back, um, even XR3i, which was iconic at the time, made a reappearance. <coughs> then the Escort Cosworth, and then the special edition of the Monaco with it. With someone like Gwyndaf or Malcolm driving these cars, our customers that we had lined up for them, conversations with those people, saying how well they drove, was priceless. Um, and we became... Brooklyn Motorsport became quite well known across the country. It mm. wasn't just mm. locally in the Midlands, Worcestershire. It was nationally, really. And, and I think when you had you had a, a personality like Phil Collins in the, yes. one of their cars yeah. as well, he was always great to camera because he had a great smile, he had a great laugh, and he yeah. he really enjoyed his running. But enormous amounts of enthusiasm behind what he was doing in motorsport. Yeah, definitely. Um, the the support of that and the impact of that knowledge around you with that, with that product mm. at the time was, yeah, I don't think they'll see times like that again forward, definitely. So Brooklyn's, how many, how many years with Brooklyn, basically? Oh, I left, so I went to Brooklyn, would be 1990, 
mm-hmm. and left there 2003. Right. So, yeah, during that time I'd grown and ended up running the site at Redditch and, Cod- and Kidderminster. Mm-hmm. Um, great times, happy times, yeah. Um, great businesses, actually. Unfortunately, they're no longer still going. Um, but, yeah, from there... A couple of people I knew quite well in the motor trade had said to me for quite some time, come and join us at BMW. I always thought, why would you leave Ford? We sell the most. Um, But yeah, so there's a little bit of me regrets not going to BMW sooner. Mm. So that wasn't to apply for a job, that was a come and work with us. Well, that's um, nice, though, isn't it? Yeah. That must have made you yeah, feel very proud yeah. of what you put into yeah. uh, working in the motor trade in the yeah. first place. Yeah, so went to um, BMW for profits at Solihull, which then became Sitna. Um, and again, great company, great product. Mm. Such a basic product, the BMW was compared to some of the bits that were in the Fords at the time. But um, yeah, we used to talk to customers about the only th- they used to add a six play CD. Mm. That was it for 350 quid. It was always, there was never anything in the car, but it was always about how that car drove. And from enjoying driving, that was a big thing at the time. You always spoke to the customers about how well the BMWs drove. They sold themselves. And, of course, Frank Sinner was driving it on circuit in the British Touring Car Championship, and they probably thought, well, if it goes that well on the circuit with Frank Sinner, it's got to be a good road car. And, again, same as Brooklyn in a way, Mm -hmm. Sinner wasn't just I hadn't gone there as sales it went on the finance side with Sitna um, and quite quickly you buy into again a culture of the motorsport side of it with Frank um, and obviously with Penske which was massive more so Penske Roger Penske than than um, the Sitna side of it so yeah the whole culture within that business um, was around that side of it um, but the product you work with at the time with BMW which then obviously expands to Alpina which was amazing at the time mm-hmm. just great products great cars to drive mm-hmm. and, and almost the- a pride a pride that I remember my first the the weekend before I was due to start on the Monday I always drove an XR3i at Ford or an RS2000 or something nice, a Probe or a, Co- uh, a Cougar. And I remember my Sitner arranged for my new car to be delivered to work. And I was sat at work in Kidderminster at the time and this 330 BMW convertible <laughs> turns up on a trailer and I think I must have got in that car and drove it for miles um, and that's the pride you want because that's mm, mm, that's mm. what you work for, really. So happy times again. Because M Sport, of course, very much involved in the British Touring Car Championship, West Surrey Racing, yeah. of course, enjoying a lot of success. Yeah. And uh, Colin Turkington obviously missed out on the championship, but he's got what four titles. So he's matched Andy Rouse's four yeah. titles, and Rouse, of course, goes way back to the sort of the seventies yes, and those sort of years, yeah. isn't he? Did Andy you watch Rouse. any touring cars yes. in those yeah, days? Yeah, yeah. You, more so from rallying, you get into the touring cars, even more so with BMW. Mm. Um, and certainly, yeah, Andy Rouse being a name. Um, but enjoyable times, you are expected to have that interest. Mm. Um, mm. So, but for me, yeah, it came naturally, loved it. 
So what was the next progression for you as far as moving on naturally? Um, BMW was great for me because we just had... So BMW were going great guns at the time and around that time was the rebirth of Mini, um, which couldn't have landed any better, really. Mini was a phenomenon, really. I guess it, it came along the level of interest. So although we did the finance for BMW, we took Mini on board as well uh, with a colleague. Um, and, yeah, it just went... It couldn't have been better times for us, really, mm. if you couldn't have picked mm. to be in a certain place at the right time, which I guess throughout my career I always feel like I've been lucky. Um, so you go to BMW, you got Mini, and while I was with their uh, BMW at Solihull, Hall, um, won BMW's National Business Manager of the Year. And that would be around 2005. And then all of a sudden, yes, you win the award, great, you get lots of you know the accolades that come with it and the rewards. But all of a sudden, you start getting phone calls. Um, with different opportunities. Um, Made that sound very mysterious. <laughs> no, all within the mo most of them were in the motor trade. There was one outside of the motor trade which was in design and print, but didn't really mm -hmm. something actually. I, Russell Brooks would have been a competitor with, but <laughs> it would have. Um, it didn't really float my boat. No. Um, there was no excitement to it. it. I just couldn't imagine doing that. Um, there was a couple of opportunities with actually BMW. One thing they were looking at doing at the time with Motorrad was raising the profile of the availability of finance for motorcycle customers. Right. And with that job that was put towards me was you get a company car, you get a company motorbike. This takes me back to the beginning of this conversation. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, you get a company car, you get a motorbike, <laughs> you cover half the country. Well, it sounds a great job. But anyway, around that time, I then got pneumonia quite badly. Oh, right. Which took me off my feet. Both lungs collapsed. Um, Did you ever find out what caused the pneumonia? No, no I'd been in Africa <laughs> with BMW, and that was the only thing they could pinpoint it towards mm -hmm. that I'd picked up. Mm -hmm a virus in Africa um, that out of the blue I'd felt a bit poorly for a couple of weeks mm. or not yourself and then the one night one lung collapsed so they rushed me to hospital Terrifying. while I was in hospital in A&E waiting to see someone luckily it happened there but the second lung collapsed what's the sort of feeling what are you feeling like inside Nothing your body because you've you've passed out you've so gone, they have to here. revive you yeah sure so they have to revive you because you can't breathe. So the next thing I'm aware of, I wake up in um, ICU with the family around me um, because they don't know what's going to happen. So you're not aware of anything. I just knew with the first lung I couldn't breathe and I needed help. Um, I think my wife or ex-partner would retell a tale of the only way Apparently when I stopped breathing in the night, I hit her. I reached out for breath and I caught her with my arm, which oh, woke her up, yeah, yeah. which luckily got her to call the ambulance. Um, and sort of went from there, but when two lungs collapse, 
Normally when one lung collapses, it learns to move again off the other lung. Mm -hmm. My problem was with both lungs collapsing, they had to almost start you again, yeah. learning how to breathe. Yeah, sure. You couldn't walk anywhere without... You needed oxygen constantly. And how do they treat the collapsed lungs? Well, the first thing, I had pleurisy at the time as well. So because your immune system's gone because of the virus, you're then susceptible to every other virus going. Mm. Um, so at the time was pleurisy. So they've got to clear you of all the infection before they then start again. Um, and it was as basic as there was a machine I used to have to blow into constantly, every day, mm. to keep... It was almost quite basic, but you'd blow into this machine that had to keep this ball at a level in this tube. And that was every day. But, yeah, it wasn't back on my feet properly for 12 months easily because of the breathing and no energy. Mm. So that job... But you had no repercussions from that situation? Never. No, no, no. Perfect picture of house. <laughs> no touch wood, he says. I'll um, vouch, I will vouch for that. Yeah, no, I've... Luckily, um, I did actually smoke at the time mm. for my sins. Heavily? No, not heavily. More a social. Mm. And I could still be heavy, though, <laughs> Yeah, I suppose. Depends what, how, how good a night it was. <laughs> not chain-smoking, um, exactly. No, definitely not. But strangely enough, obviously, all the things you read, the, sur the surgeon said, and the doc who I was under, because apparently, I, not milking it, it was, at one point, they said it was touch and go whether I would survive. Mm -hmm. They said, it's a good job he wasn't a smoker. Which was probably the worst thing they could have said to me at the time, because... Yeah, I didn't stop when I should have. Um, but touch wood, yeah, it's never had a repercussion from it since. Amazing. Just mad how it happened. But that affected my outlook on you know career, family. Mm -hmm. Really makes you think. Um, so at that stage, you were still with BMW. So I was still yeah. at Solihull Hall at the time. They were great. <laughs> Sydney were great. Um, fully supportive. I had tried to go back to work. I tried too soon. I, we had a bit of a relapse, which put me off again. Um, but you just want to get back to work because you feel a bit of a loser sat at home, so to speak. Um, sat. I remember I watched. It was the Ashes, so around 2005. And I sat at home in my armchair because I couldn't go anywhere because of the breathing. And I remember watching all five tests, sat dunking digestives in a cup of tea. And you soon put the weight on. So I think I put three stone on during that time. Those are the tests where Australia or where were they? Where were the tests? In England, it was, yeah, it was quite a successful Ashes as well. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, during that time, that role that had been talked to me with BMW, the manufacturer, had to go. Um, so then you rebuild again. But luckily, quite quickly, got back into it. It was going fairly well and then got approached by, again, didn't apply, got approached by some colleagues who I used to work with in the same group, all from Sitna, because there was going to be a new Porsche centre opening in Leicester. They were aware of what I'd done historically with the finance side. And you were living where still at the moment? I was, yeah, I was living in Redditch at the time, right. so Leicester was a good hour mm -hmm. each way. Um fair old journey to go to work but when you've got a choice of four different Porsches to drive to work in it's not such a 
a challenge. <laughs> and is it the M69? <clears throat> M69 early in the morning is a great motorway to take <clears throat> your Porsche up because it's empty. <laughs> I wonder how many times the police have tried to catch you and have, have yeah, failed. I don't, think, I don't ever remember seeing a policeman on that motorway, I must admit. Yeah. You were going too quickly. No, I only, I, if, if anything, <laughs> only just over the speed limit, obviously. Yes. How long were you with Porsche in Not long. No, not long at all, unfortunately. Um, it was a strange setup. It was great experience, fantastic product when customers walk into a Porsche centre, nine times out of ten, they know what, what, what they want. Mm -hmm. The car's iconic. The training they give you, the driving experiences they give you, so you fully appreciate the cars, um, were second to none. So, although I was involved in the finance side, what you learn quite quickly is that for someone to succeed at Porsche, mainly in the sales department or after sales was that your enthusiasm had to mirror the customers when they walked in. The customers would always walk into that centre enthusiastically because of the product that's on show in there. Um, how would you respond? I mean, bearing in mind you've got a customer comes through the door with that sort of attitude, how would you respond? It's, it's with the passion. It's, you know, I, I wasn't in the sales side, but the, the passion that we handpicked, because we were a new start business, the three of us, the head of business, the general sales manager and myself, sat down and it was sort of built from scratch. Mm. So they've obviously, those got, I had no experience of Porsche. And what um, was your job? I was the business manager. Business so manager. I had mm. to set up which finance companies alongside Porsche, financial services we were going to use, the rates, the terms. We were just becoming FCA regulated, so you have to... Look at all these different things to put this in place. Mm. Again, great experience, um, but you needed the staff, and of which the two guys that were mainly responsible for that almost went out to Porsche centres and BMW centres they'd had experience with in the past and knew the sales specialists they wanted. And we took four at the time, all great experience, all with a great knowledge of the the product, the heritage of Porsche. Um, and that's what you want. You employed four at that time, the experience, the knowledge and the passion. And really enjoyable product for me, having been used to the hustle and bustle of Ford, and even more so, busier was BMW and Mini. To then go to a Porsche centre where everything is a waiting list, every new car's a waiting mm -hmm. list, Yes, you have your second-hand stock in, but every new car was a waiting list. We had set-up stock for a new business, um, which you would sell from. But you could go a week in that business without seeing a customer. It would be on the phone. It could be a, you know, a successful director of a company asking if we've got a GT3 or something. When that came through, there's my deposit, I'll have one. You don't see that customer until you need to arrange the funding side, which I would be involved. Um, so I've sat there now, and it, it still sticks with me now, sitting a week within a showroom that must have cost millions. Not seeing a customer was alien to me. Mm. And as much as I loved the product, I suppose the easiest way to say it was I was bored, mm. yeah, which sure. is dangerous for me. 
Because you eat. Mm -hmm. So your day becomes around, right, what should we have for breakfast from the sandwich man? What do we have for lunch? And we were right by an Indian and a Chinese, so we had those delivered up to us. Your day became centred around doing your job and what do we eat. Um, so during that time with Porsche, I had a phone call from one of the directors at Lister's um, asking me if I'd be interested in joining Lister's in the Audi division to do... Um, a role involved with the funding, um, which I came along, I thought I'll go and meet them. I didn't end up doing that role, um, but that was my first experience of Listers. What were the perks with the job? Perks with the job, obviously a nice company car, because uh, Audi at the time were really taking off with R8. So while we were at Porsche, we used to get some good customers turn up showing us their R8 they'd just picked up. And you start looking at, for me, with Audi, the interior of an Audi. And then you start thinking of back of the interior that I had at BMW. And for me, there's no comparison of an interior of an Audi <laughs> to a BMW. Um, but not a brand I'd ever really considered till I saw the R8. That was my first real experience of, of Audi. I'd had an Audi 80 as a company car years back. But, yeah, it wasn't... Uh, the R8 was my first experience of Audi properly and it was the talk of Audi at the time with that product. Um, so for one reason or another, I didn't go with that role that I was approached about. I was sort of happy where I was. Do I give it a bit longer to see if, if, if it's more me? Then I had an, probably another three or four months later, I had another phone call off Listers, a different role again. Um, which was asking if I'd be interested in becoming the general sales manager at their Audi centre in Worcester, which, yeah, there was just something about that role, sales manager involved with the finance, involved with everything. Mm -hmm. um, and they got some challenges at the time, um, of which when I went there I met the team. What were the challenges? I think they'd been in quite a high position um, as far as recognition with the manufacturer, which for various reasons, obviously I wasn't there, they'd gone through whether you recruit the wrong people, I don't mm. various challenges, um, had not the same level of success, I guess. Mm. So this was sort of a... There must have been an awful lot of people out there in the motor trade who were actually banging on the door wanting to get involved with Audi, I would have thought, as well. Yeah, there were a few people who went for the role, who'd obviously <laughs> applied for the role. I guess I knew of a few people within the company who'd approached me to go for the role. Um, but, yeah, accepted the job in the end and never looked back, really. Mm. Loved it. They came and took my Porsche away. I had a Cayman S at the time. Did you give it a hug when it went? Yeah, that was a tough one. It was a limited edition. <laughs> Came an S, it was lovely. Um, and, yeah, it was replaced with an A4 three-litre diesel. Fantastic. Um, Not quite the same, <laughs> is it, really? There's no comparison, is um, there? <laughs> it was a shock at the time, but well, I've got to say, what an engine. Three-litre diesel in the A4 at the time was. So Quattro. when do you get to list of Stratford-on-Avon? Oh, um, well, I, I went to Audi Worcester in 2008 and came to Stratford 
in 2018. Mm, right. So, yeah, and love it. I, I remember it's interesting. The, one of the first conversations you and I had was this very thing about Porsche, what a great product, and yeah, being involved yeah. there. But in fact, you regenerated your salesmanship and your ability to get involved with selling cars, more yeah. so than you probably had for a long time. And must yeah. have, it must have felt really quite nice going home for you, satisfied that you actually stepped out of a lovely environment with Porsche into a very busy environment with an Audi dealership. Yeah, just what I was looking for. Worcester Audi was amazing for me, got to say. Um, product, Audi's product portfolio... Again, you feel when you say you land somewhere at the right time, if anyone knows the brand, you look at when in 2008 and then what happened from 2008, the introduction of certain cars, the RS products, S products, they've got it right. It's, they're mm. constantly, constantly looking at the next thing and you do have pride in the brand. I can't imagine working with a brand you don't have pride with. Mm. Um, but you drive home every night in a lovely car and amazing. So if that, you just pass that on to a customer. I think when they split the Audi Volkswagen dealerships and then yes, Hunt came I, in to actually set yeah. up the Audi UK operation, yeah. if you like, and, of course, he came, and I met him for the very first time at Donington Park. They had mm -hmm. the launch date for the touring cars. Yeah. He was in, I remember dear old Len in his suit, and he yeah. put this leather helmet on and sat mm -hmm. with Frank Beener. Right. And he came round, and he came back at the end of these laps he'd done with Frank, and he was <laughs> visibly yeah. shaking. But, again, that, that involvement in the touring cars had not done Audi any harm yeah. whatsoever. I mean, yeah. they were there long enough to make the point and make a mark. When, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Again, the heritage with the motorsport. Um, Le Mans was obviously a big thing with Audi. Um, Did you go to Le Mans? No, never been. Never been. Are you surprised, are you surprised when know. you say that, actually? No, never been. I think there's probably been an opportunity to, but no, never been. Um, lots of motorsport events and that, but uh, at Silverstone normally, but... No, never been to Le Mans. Well, even I think about the uh, the, the old um, Audis that they used to rally in, of course, mm. with, you know, Hanu Mikula and stuff. I guess that's how Fantastic. it started, isn't it, with the Quattro? Mm. And, again, the Quattro now, when you're at BMW, you think, wow, these cars drive amazing. Then I remember driving, it was an RS5, mm. obviously a Quattro, um, and thinking, yeah, this is this car is unbelievable. Mm. I've driven R eights and lovely car, obviously. Um, but they were pioneers in yeah. four wheel drive, weren't and they? And that's how it feels with lots of things they do. Obviously, am I biased? I don't think I'm that person. But with the Quattro, and I know other manufacturers have followed suit with their own version of. Mm. Um, but yeah, Quattro, I don't think there is anything to beat it. Perhaps now, here we are. <laughs> Am I biased? Of course, you, biased. Of course yeah. you are. But, I mean, it's just interesting. We're talking about, you know, obviously the Porsche move to Audi. And yeah. How many years have you been here now, you say? At Stratford-upon-Avon? Yeah. Um, just over three, be four years in April. Right, okay. Yeah, I love it. Right. Yeah. What a place to work, Stratford-upon-Avon. Absolutely. Where are you yeah. living where, though, now? I still live in Redditch. Right, yeah, I'm exactly. still um, sort of renting in between houses, let's call it. <laughs> Um, looking for something, whether that is Stratford, I don't know, but what a great town to work. I've been lucky, really, at Worcester. Mm. I love Worcester, but Stratford-upon-Avon, every day I'll try and take the time, even if I'm going to the bank for work, 
you take that time, you walk into the town centre and walk back. Mm-hmm. Easier to walk than to drive around Stratford town centre. But what a lovely walk. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, I love it. Love the vibe. So what has what the motor trade been like since, what, the, the launch of 2020 when we had the COVID-19 sort of kicked in, if you like, and what's it been like in the last sort of 18 months? Um, oh, it's been massive challenge. I guess depends on what your character's like, but, yeah, everything we do is, is being involved with a customer. Through COVID, we stayed open for essential employees and essential workers as a workshop. Um, as time went on, we did a, an online sales availability for anyone who wanted to email in or call in. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just times you might never go through again, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, made you look at lots of things, sat here for what felt like 12 months on your own, um, looking at what your next move will be, but not really knowing. Mm. Um, and it's been challenging because the knock-on effect is the factories that make the parts for the cars, the factory themselves. In other countries, all these places have been closed. Mm. Mm. So naturally, the stuff you don't think about at the time is everything now gets pushed back. But, I mean, product supply has obviously been, sh- been so slowed quite a lot. Supply, product supply now is, across all manufacturers, is... 50% probably of where it should be at best and that's probably it's lower than that probably on new cars but the factories are still working the signs are really positive I think knowing other manufacturers stories Audi are in quite a decent place um, to hopefully kick off next year in a better hopefully in a better position but as the year's gone um sales have boomed it's it's just mad you come out of lockdown and all these people haven't been spending money and luckily for us the motor trade is people have decided well i'm not going abroad maybe or i'm not gonna do this or that and they've said well let's change the car um so used cars we've probably never had it so so busy um new cars were still very busy we've still got cars we can sell from stock but we're also taking lots of factory orders to keep them busy as well. Mm. Um, but you don't appreciate at the time everything you touch, whether it be the, the boats coming over from the ports, everyone was furloughed, everyone didn't work, mm. so now there's a backlog. But we'll get through it. Great team around me, so it's been... It's actually been quite character-building the last, I guess it's 18 months. Mm, yeah character building and the staff that we have round us are the staff you'd want round you mm-hmm. every person I imagine though you must appreciate we've talked about you're starting out as an apprentice hairdresser yeah. and you've come to where you are today as we sit mm-hmm. in your office here in Audi Stratford and Avon mm-hmm. and you must surely appreciate where you are now and where you've come from because I mean even working in that salon must have been a really enjoyable experience for you yeah, I, I suppose on a day-to-day basis you don't think about it. Um, I suppose when someone says that to you, you suddenly think, well, um, um, I didn't do as well as I should have at school. Um, the aspirations were always to be a science teacher or a history teacher. 
Um, and my mum still tells people that now. He should have been. Um, and other people in the family all got their master's degrees at university. Mm. So, yeah, I was never that person. Um, it, for me, it was always going to be something that got me, that then drove me on. I am quite focused and driven. I imagine all these people with master's degrees say, what about Phil? Oh, Phil, he's a car salesman. Well, <laughs> two, two of those people with master's degrees still are currently out of work, so I'm not so sure sometimes <laughs> who has the best route. Um, yeah, it was, as I say, I, I wasted probably the last two years at school, mm. the most important mm. times. Um, I wasn't invited to stay on to the sixth form, so I needed to do something, but it, it was always going to be something that hooked my interest, that I enjoyed and I felt part of. Um, and to this day, if someone said to me, what would you do now? I'd open a barber's shop on the coast somewhere and have my own little barber's shop. I'd love that. Maybe one day. Phil Bly's come full circuit. It's been a real pleasure. And Thank can you, I wish sir. you all the very best. And uh, it's good to see you in good shape. And I'm just glad that your lungs repaired <laughs> themselves. Yeah, thank you very much, Patrick. And thanks for your business and ongoing support. Thank you.